Welcome to the I Get Buckets podcast. It is the special NBL Finals edition here. My name's Simon Harris, as always, and I'm privileged to have our NBL expert in attendance to guide us through everything Perth and Melbourne United related. So, Jesse, welcome. Thanks for the kind welcome. I'm not too sure expert is uh, the right the right word, but um, I do definitely have a keen interest in the NBL as I have been on here before, so we'll see how we go today. It's, it's a privilege to have you here. We um, follow the NBL closely. I'm getting to as many games as I can, but it's always nice to have um, someone who's spent as much time as you going and studying everything that is NBL. Uh, um, this season, I feel like I've spent most of the games um, under the influence of a fair few beers, to be honest. So um, a lot of the games are a little bit um, hazy on the mind, but I, I definitely uh, I went to every United game this season, home game. Um, so I have seen them play quite a bit, so I have a little bit of an insight on hopefully how they're going to go in this uh, grand final series that's going to kick off in a couple of days, or tomorrow. Yeah, well, we'll have to get you back another time for the stories and the the chance at Michael Allen and all those kind of stuff, but um, we've got this one in specifically to focus, and we did it last year, and we're looking at NBL final series, so this Friday, game one kicks off in Perth, Perth Wildcats versus the Melbourne United. Um, it seems like the season, you know, kicked off a while ago. Is this where we're always going to land? Do you feel like these are the teams that were the ones that were to beat all year? Uh, that's a really interesting question because as soon as Sydney put their roster together, everyone's like championship favourites, championship favourites. But as you, we've seen previously in the NBA, like it doesn't matter how stacked your roster is, if you don't gel as a team, uh, it makes it very difficult. So, yes, Sydney had a great roster. I thought they may have, um, you know, Gone, got to the grand final, but I think that matchup Melbourne Sydney in the semi sort of um, was a little bit of a, a shame to be honest because it would have been nice to have a Sydney Melbourne final. But you know, Perth they started out out the gates at the start of the season and then their patch through the middle of the year was woeful. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting to see that you know the back end of their season was sort of nice. Melbourne's back end was pretty ordinary. So sort of um, it brings two teams together that I guess they both deserve to be there. Yeah, well, it felt like going into the the semi finals was. Um, a little bit interesting because we had the Melbourne versus Sydney matchup straight out of the gate and obviously Perth were playing quite well but Brisbane had really kind of stormed home and they were the, this team to watch but as we saw with the semi-finals both series were over very very quickly over the span of four days it seemed they like were, they were probably the worst semi-finals in quite a few years to be honest um, I, Brisbane were you know they had such a good run loved their roster loved their team loved the way they play picking up um Lamar during the season was like awesome and I thought you know you wouldn't really want to come up against them in finals but uh yeah they were, they were swept quite easily by Perth yeah it was the game one um for both kind of series where blowouts, blowouts yeah. both ways and we're at the Melbourne United game and I felt like they played very very strongly and, and walking into the game I, I really um felt that Sydney was a, a red hot kind of chance um and they they kind of um dealt with the Melbourne United blow kind of early, but settled into the game, I thought. But then um, they came out in the second half and Melbourne United were just so much um, better at moving the ball. Sydney kind of looked a little bit shocked outside of um, newly making a few plays. And Bogut um, did 
the Bogut things you needed, but they needed someone else to kind of um, score the ball and it didn't really happen for Sydney. So And, and the way they, they set up their plays and the way that they use Bogut, people argue that you know they did what they could, but Andrew Gaze didn't switch up any at any stage throughout either of those two games. And there was never like Melbourne were going to win if there weren't any changes, and there weren't any changes for game two. It was they played the same sort of game, played Bogut way too high, um, post Bogut up down low, could have had a completely different series. It did feel like they played into Melbourne United hands uh, a bit, and I guess Casper Ware was just all over Randall in both the games. Um, and DJ Kennedy, I thought was fantastic, and it just it did look like Vickerman kind of outcoached Gaze and. Which was disappointing in, in Gage's kind of farewell lap almost. So um, a lot of people were kind of, I think, things fell into place a little bit, even though <laughs> it was... <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to um, complain. I think that, you know, he went out how he's coached the past three years and he didn't make any changes in three years. So if you're going to coach the same way and, and, you know, the NBL is a league that's always changing. So you've got to you've got to have that team around you to, to be able to read plays, work out how the flow of the game and adjust to it. And that just didn't happen. Yeah, so I guess with both Melbourne United Perth straight sets victory, you get best part of a week off now coming in. Um, Melbourne United's form, as you mentioned, to end the season wasn't as good as Perth, but it almost feels like a, a reset button has been hit. Do you feel like both teams are, are quite confident going into this series now? Well, it's probably a really good opportunity to sort of talk about the previous matchups um, throughout the season because it's a tough one to read because they've played four times in the season. Each team get two at home, and all those games could have gone either way. Like they're all fairly close games, um, and I think United are probably going to be thinking, and I don't want them to think like or go in with a real cocky attitude and saying, "Hey, we probably should have won four out of those four games." Um, they need to go out and say, "Hey, we did lose two games. We've got to better ourselves and and you know go harder." Yeah, I guess those four games they faced, but they split two and two, all home teams winning. That first one, a double overtime game where Perth wins by five points. Uh, it was only really the second game where Melbourne did it, I guess, a little bit comfortable because they win by um, 17 in the end. The, um, going back but, to the first game, though, like the five-point victory makes it sound like it, was, it wasn't as close oh, yeah. as it was. Like, double Cas- overtime, Casper yeah. Casper <laughs> called for a charge pretty much on the buzzer, a layup that goes in and it gets called an offensive foul. And pretty much after the game, everyone said that was not an offensive foul. So Melbourne could have come out of that with the win. And um, yeah, I mean, I think Casper, and then if we go to game three in Perth again, Casper, they had a perfect set play, inbound play. Um, I was in Mexico at the time, I was yeah. like in the middle of the morning watching the game on my phone in bed, and you know, they had this set play, Casper got a clear go at them for a layup, and missed a wide open layup, so yeah. it's another game that... And I guess that one was the overtime win in Melbourne, the game four. Oh, game um, that was disgusting. And then, like, Perth Wildcats, they had kind of top sewn up, and Melbourne was really playing for that home court advantage against Sydney. So I think Melbourne United had a lot more to kind of to, to play for in that game, um, whereas Perth had already kind of locked up first spot. So I don't think you can really overanalyze that as much. Perth would just kind of, you know, they, not chewing the rack, but... They got, they got in a bit of foul trouble um, towards the end of the game, and Melbourne shouldn't have won that game. Like, Perth should have just put them away. In the fourth quarter, shouldn't have gone to overtime. So, um, Melbourne very lucky with that one. Um, yeah. So now we shift into a five-game series, and I think it's quite interesting. It it sounds you know three games to five games, but there's a real kind of distinct difference. The fact that you know you get a little bit more time to kind of work out your opposition. You're playing 
um, I guess, the more games with the three-game series, you lose game one and you almost feel like your back's against the wall straight away. Yeah. I think with this one, you're going to see both the teams kind of feel their way into the series a little bit. But how important is kind of Perth coming out and keeping that home matchup if we know that it's been so important during the season? I, I can't see Perth losing game one at home. And I, th- I think the series is going to come down to whoever can steal a game away. So I don't think Perth will drop game one and I don't think Melbourne will drop game two. So I think game three is that all-important game over in Perth. If Melbourne can sneak out of there with a win, um, they're a real good chance. But then the same way, if Perth get that, that win, um, game four is panic stations for Melbourne almost. Yeah, definitely. So I think looking at the four games and some of the, the better players in the teams, do you have any like deciding factors or things that you're really kind of interested to see as these teams battle it out? I mean, Boone had a real um, poor back end of the season. Came out on fire, um, you know, the, the semi-finals against Sydney. I think he's pretty important because if he gets in early foul trouble, Pledger is not strong enough to hold his ground against Brand. And I think Angus Brand is going to um, have a big series. I think he's going to dominate the paint. Um, and I th- it's really tricky because Steindl... I think Steinle's like the X Factor. Like, he did nothing in those two games against Brisbane. And yeah. I know um, Homicide came out and sort of had a go at Kadee and said, Kadee is an NBL player, shouldn't be playing. Got told by the NBL to take the video down. Um, had to remove it because it was too critical. But I, I think that if Kadee didn't have such a poor series um, and it had gone to a game three, all eyes would have been on Steinle. And I think that he's going to be feeling that pressure and I, I feel like he could come out on fire. Yeah, I guess... It's interesting because you're jumping forward to a couple of things I really wanted to ask you about, which is great. The big one I wanted to kind of pick your brain out was Josh Boone and the foul trouble, especially because they're so big. And Angus Brandt has been terrific this season. And Nicholas Kay was, you know, all NBL first team at the power forward. I would be worried if I was uh, Melbourne United with their depth in the front court. And can if, if Josh Boone, you know, is getting in foul trouble, how can Melbourne United um, rally and, and be able to kind of match up their front court? Is there something that they know is going to be the biggest issue for them? Vickerman's capable of making changes. And throughout the season, he's made changes. And I feel like that this could be Toei Smith-Milner's chance to step up a little bit. Even if he goes out and gets three real cheap, quick fouls in five minutes of play, I think that's going to benefit by giving Boone a couple of minutes rest. Um just rotate him a little bit more, get him into the lineup a little bit, get him, get the feel of that, that finals back into him. I mean, they can play Barlow big. Um, Barlow down low has been great this year. He's sort of stepped into that role that Ty Wesley had last year. And But yeah, again, Barlow can get into foul trouble real quickly. So, yeah. and, and Perth are big. I know. And we've spoken before, but um, I thought... Martin Barlow was probably the second best player in the, the NBL final series last season. Awesome. He was terrific on defense. Um, so I think they they haven't got as much from David Barlow in the past four or five games, and they're really wanting to, to get um, back to kind of the game that he was um, giving them later. And it's not just going to be his, his matchups. If he can shift down to four or even the spot five minutes and, and play against Brandt, if he can really stretch the four and hit the three a little bit more. I know he's been terrific yeah. late last year and during the season, but um, got down his past four games. Um, he shot two from 12 from the three-point line, and he hasn't really looked like a threat. Um, and as a result of that, I know his minutes has been down. So if he's going to be able to, to do those minutes, can he keep out of foul trouble? And can he 
make the opposition pay by hitting down some shots, I guess. I know stat-wise, um, offensively, he, he's definitely been down on his numbers. And the frustration in the crowd at the last game, the people behind me were putting crap on him the whole game pretty much. But defensively, he's still, play, he's still played an awesome role the last few games. Like, don't downplay. Like, you can't downplay how big he's been on the boards. Um, just getting that extra big body in there. His D's great. Like, he can fill the space. Um, but yeah, I, like you said, I think the, the offensive... Hopefully it'll, it'll turn up in the grand final series, but um, I still think he's going to play a big role on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, I'm a very big fan of Barlow and I'm, I'm looking forward and he gives you all those intangibles even when the shot's not falling, but it almost feels like he needs to, to be able to hit a shot. <laughs> um, but I think the lineups where they kind of spread him out and I feel like they would want to kind of shorten their rotation if they can and then maybe potentially not play Craig Muller or a few of these other guys as much as they need to if they can get um, larger minutes out of Barlow and Boone and even if Pledger can fill some holes. So, and that'll um, probably, Perth will push him out to the three-point line on the offensive end. That, that'll be a, a game plan that they'll push him out just based on his on his shooting the past few weeks. So it'll be good to see how that goes. Yeah, I don't know. In the first um, couple of games, Craig Moller really struggled kind of when they switched um, him onto some of the smaller players and, and Randall and um, Newley and a few others had a go at him and Barlow, I have no problem when he when they switch the defense and force Barlow to go on smaller players. He is very, very, um, I guess, inept on, on keeping his hands up and staying straight and keeping in front of him. And I think that's one of his, his key strengths, as you said. So um, smaller players, you said Steindl, Barlow. I think in a five-game series when we do go longer, it gives chances for these guys to kind of have more impact on games. In the three-game series, you know, you see where kind of take over. Boone has a game, and then um, it's enough for you to kind of um, win the series and come back. But over five games, you said, you know, they'll trade potentially home games early. Game three, game four, these are going to be really important to, you know, who can give like 10, 15 minutes of um, very, very valuable minutes. So I guess is there any other kind of those smaller players that you think can really put their, their fingerprints on a series? I think McCarron, like, I love McCarron. I, I think McCarron's great on all parts of the floor, chases the boards, um, gets those hands in there on the defensive plays. I, th- I think he is very underrated, and I, f- I feel like that um, they're probably going to try and switch Casper with him and Cotton a little bit to try and get McCarron on Cotton a bit, free Casper up a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, Tariko White, he, he had a great series against yeah. Brisbane, and, um, you know, he's copped a bit about disappearing in the fourth quarter especially. Um Homicide's been leading that charge. I mean, you got to be wary of him. You've got to watch him. Um, and I think you know Kennedy's going to going to be the same for for Melbourne. Kennedy's one of those guys that has played all over the world, played on big stages, and you know to come out here first year and and potentially get a, a title. I think he's going to be pretty hungry. Yeah, you um, talk about Cotton, and then we're like they're probably the two best backcourts in the NBL. And then we have to mention Chris Goulding now coming off the bench, but he's such an important player for, for Melbourne when he's locked in. Um, do you think if they're going to try and switch, you know, McCarran and Ware, they're going to do same and have Damian Martin kind of come in and do a real defensive job and potentially Ware? Possibly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they put, if Martin just tagged Golding, whenever Golding's out there, Martin would just be in his face the whole time. And, um, but, you know, like Martin is, is a, you know, He's one of the nicest blokes in the league, one of the most respected players in the league, and his D is just, it'll 
he'll switch up another level. Um, he'll get in there every ball. He'll, he'll probably be bleeding. He'll be, he'll be on the floor. <laughs> he'll just chase every ball. So, yeah, it's an interesting matchup to see where they're going to put him. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many times he's been NBL Defensive Player of the Year, but it has to be quite a <laughs> have few. It to be quite a few, I'd say. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but he's definitely won it a few times. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, one of the big things that, that stands out when you look at paper is, I think, is the backcourt versus backcourt. So, especially Casper Ware versus is Cotton. Um, Cotton equal with Trimble, I think, in points per game, it was 22.5. Um, he has had his best games at home, especially against Melbourne United. Drops 31 in game one and then 27 in the third time they faced off. But he's kind of disappeared a little bit um, away in Melbourne. Do you think that's a kind of a trend? Are you... Are you what are you trying to think? If Perth wins, does he need to be their player? I think, yeah, I think if Perth wins the series, Cotton's going to be the MVP. I think Cotton, Cotton should wrap it up. He, I felt like he was robbed um, for the for the league MVP. I think he has had a phenomenal year. Um, he's so good on that that shot and drawing the contact on the three point shot and going the four point play. Um, and I, I, you know, I can imagine this series, especially game one, he's. They were going to be trailing, or Melbourne United are going to be trailing him off that three-point line the whole time, just trying to close him out. But yeah, like you said, away, and especially that um, the fourth game, the last game of the season, Melbourne did a really good job of shutting him down. And if they can take that intensity and, and do those same, those same sort of shutdowns on him, um, they're in with a chance because I think offensively, Cotton provides so much for Perth um, that they need. Yeah. I know um, both teams really kind of, especially Melbourne United, like to kind of focus on a bit of a three-point game and get their shots open. Do you think um, a big part of it is going to be just chasing people off the line? I know Casper Ware obviously really likes to kind of get into Chris Gordon. We all know <laughs> hasn't seen a shot in his life that he doesn't like. <laughs> um, do you reckon, is, is both teams are ranked one and two in defensive defensive efficiency in the NBL this season. Is that going to be one a huge thing? Is chasing people off the three point line and, and getting their kind of um, switches done right on defense? I'd say both teams are going to try and trial it at some stage during during the series. But um, like we said before, Perth they're going to bang bodies. I reckon they're going to try and feed it in, get a lot of inside plays. I reckon um, Wagstaff's going to get a lot more minutes. I feel like um, he's that sort of guy that finals time. He's not going to be afraid to, to come out, rough a few people up, rustle a few feathers, um, bang a few bodies, get a few fouls, probably um, not very nice fouls. But yeah. that's the sort of player he is, and that's that's what Gleason loves. Gleason loves those guys that go in there, go for the ball, um, try and you know try and get the offense the other team off their offense. So yeah. um, outside of Boone, does Melbourne have enough of that grit to kind of when it when it comes push to shove? Because we know Perth. Damian Martin, Wagstaff, I've got a list of these guys who have <laughs> been there, done that in terms of kind of... I think Perth will look at that as potentially one of their key advantages down low. Definitely, because um, yeah, if, yeah, if you can draw a few real quick, cheap early fouls on Boone, get Pledger out there early, and then they'd be more than happy to take Pledger on every day of the week. Cause, and, and Pledger's too soft on the boards. Um, just doesn't bring the ball in and... and Perth are always swatting the ball. Perth will chase that ball, they'll swat it, they'll try and get the steal quick little um and that'll it'll happen multiple times where they'll just slap it out of his hands quick layup for a seven footer he doesn't seem to jump always pleasure <laughs> on <laughs> on his jump shot on his rear arm but um i think he's a huge one for me in terms of the kind of role players that can put a, he, their handprints on the game if he can because we know there's going to be minutes where he's really near going to hold down the fort with for Boone. if he can you know imprint himself on a game he sometimes 
take shots that are probably ill-advised, longer jump shots. But if he can hit a couple, get himself going, um, you know, help teams respect his, his shot a little bit, I think. You know, just creating lanes because you've got, you know, these dynamic plays, Mitch McCarron and, and DJ Kennedy that will be trying to go downhill, get to the line um, and force them to kind of make decisions. I think he's a very interesting one. And I feel like when they shorten the rotation, um, I mean, Moller and Hooley, you know, have given you the minutes and stuff, but I feel like some of those other ones like Pledger and um, I guess CG and that we someone else that kind of really needs to take some kind of minutes off the bench to, to help them. Yeah, Hooley's an interesting one. We haven't spoken about Hooley. I can't, I don't know, I can't see him getting a lot of minutes over in Perth. Um, I reckon he's only going to come on, like I feel like they're going to rotate Casper um, and McCarron and have both of them out there um, a lot as well. So I think Hooley's minutes are going to be limited because he's just a, a little bit of a liability sometimes with the ball. Yeah, and I think um, Dean Vickerman showed that he doesn't mind going to their three-guard three kind of um, lineup with... McCarran, Goulding, and Ware all in it. And that, you know, pushes probably DJ down to the four and then either Boone or Barlow in the middle. And I think that's a really interesting lineup offensively. Um, and Hooley, I mean, he, he probably only needs to kind of give them one or two minutes here and there if they really need it. Um, and, and let's be honest, everyone knows Perth are going to go out and play full court press from the start of the game. So I hope Melbourne have spent the week coming <laughs> up with plans to break that press because... That's what they're going to need because the pressure is going to be on as soon as the the ball goes up. The pressure is going to be on straight away, and it's going to be they're just going to be chasing that ball the whole time. Which would it'd be interesting the amount of turnovers when Goulding has a little bit of body on him and he kind of throws his arms up and <laughs> see where it goes. I think, I mean, for all his flaws, but he's been such a you know interesting and, and amazing player to watch at times, and I thought he really. Um, deserved the the MVP for finals last year. Do you think he's the most important player for Melbourne? It's a good question. If he's firing and he's hitting threes from like in that first game of the semifinal, he hit one from the corner that was like a rainbow that literally floated out of nowhere and went <laughs> swish. Like if he's hitting shots like that, then yes, he's important. But if he goes no from none from five to start the game, there's going to be trouble because that's five missed shots that we're probably not going to be getting the offensive rebound on, and that's almost a ten point lead. So if he can have a heat check and and then get his head in the game and. And I feel like he's worked on it and he's tried a lot harder. Like he knows, okay, I missed two, and then he'll, the next play he'll take it in. But maybe that's become too predictable now as well that it's like, okay, Golding's missed a couple. We know he's going to drive it now. But his, his assist, um, I'm sure his assists have been up the back end of the season because he's worked on it and he's able to get the ball to Boone. Um, so yeah, he's important. But I think DJ Kennedy is probably going to be the X factor for United. I yeah. Really do. I really do. Yeah, well, quickly on, on Golding, I think you're right. There's some sort of like fool's gold when. Um He's on the floor in terms of his shot selection. But I thought last year what really kind of changed was him more of a catch and shoot than rather than off the dribble. And his defense has always been in question mark and deservedly so. But last series he kind of locked in and made it and made a better decision. So it'd be really interesting to see um, the kind of CG43 we're going to get. Um, but I'm right with you with the DJ thing. I think he's been fantastic and he's a, he's a very you know, multifaceted, do everything you need kind of player and someone that when they do get stuck sometimes with Melbourne United and they do a bit he's one they can go get your bucket um, you have thoughts on DJ you think he's I think he's lethal along that foul line like if they can clear space um, and get him the open ball around the elbow 
like that's almost guaranteed money. I, he, he barely misses from there. And you know, sometimes they're those plays when you're down five points and you just need two quick buckets and get you back in the game. And I think time and time again, that's that's a great play to go to. And I think that he's that player that's going to keep him in the game. If if the lead does blow out a little bit, he'll chase the boards. He'll get it back down, get the ball in his hands. Yeah, I think he's one interesting where Perth may not have the matchup for him, whereas you know they can go big. They've got you know Boone, Tariko White, and um, Damian Martin and Cotton. You know they're they they're backcourt. Do they have who's going to guard DJ Kennedy from Perth? Who's their three? Maybe K. Um, I don't know. It's it's a tough one because I'm sure they they've probably thought about it and they've probably come up with something really different outside the box that Melbourne aren't expecting. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really good question because, you know, even, and if you're Vickerman, you're thinking, okay, we barely see Kennedy take an outside shot as well, like behind three, but he has a good three-point shot as well and he's shown that. So, um, yeah, I, it's tricky because they might they might decide, hey, we'll, we'll play him a little bit further out, draw him out a little bit, and then maybe maybe free up the space a little bit more for um, for Barlow even to try and get him in the game and, and get a few quick, easy close hoops. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Mm. All right. So, is there any other kind of real things? I know you've um, got some thoughts on the game that we need to talk oh, about. about. About the actual final series, or about everything. everything. Oh. Final series is what we hear. I think it's but... going to be really interesting. I think that um, the NBL have drawn the schedule out a little bit. To be honest, I think that so we've got game one Friday night, game two Sunday, and then game three is not till the following Friday. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty big pretty big gap. Um, I feel like you need to try and. They should have been a game midweek just to sort of keep yeah. the flow going because you've got a five-day break where they're going to struggle to get any sort of coverage and then it's like, oh, game three for the NBLs on. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a little bit frustrating and might, you know, might it gives players the extra rest, but I'm not too sure that that big gap's going to, like it might defeat a little bit of the flow that some of the players have um, as well. So when's game five? If the four is a Sunday? Uh, that's a very good question off the top of my head. They only announced the... Uh, they only announced the first two and then they finally put out the, the yeah. last three. We'll get I, it up. I also think it's real interesting that um, I'm pretty sure last year the grand final series um, they made a deal with the Nine Network to, to stream yeah. or to put the games on Nine HD but I think this year yeah, all the games are just on go. Um, so there you go. We've got the the schedule up. Uh, so game three is Friday the 15th of March and then game fours um, if needed will be on the Sunday um, at Melbourne Arena in Melbourne to 20 game. Yeah. Which is... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's still has game five of TBC, which is really weird. Um, but I was, yeah, game five would be interesting because they're probably gonna have to do a, a midweek game five, and and to me that like that's crazy. If you had game three on the Wednesday, and then you could have had game Friday, four, Friday and Sunday, Sunday and yeah, Sunday, that Sunday Arvo game five if it goes to game five, that's gonna get you the ratings on TV, and you're gonna have a bigger crowd there than a game five on a Wednesday night. But I guess it's Perth they'll sell out, whether it's a you know, public holiday. Well, I think that's why they could have had the midweek game in Perth. Mm, yeah, they definitely. Yeah. They'll sell that out no matter what. Do you reckon it's a, um, the weight helps either team? I guess Melbourne are coming home for game three. You really don't want to be down 2-0. Um, do you reckon it's an advantage for any team or it's just kind of lose the buzz? Just, yeah, yeah. I think it just loses the buzz. I think, I think it's too big a gap. Not, not a massive fan at all. But we'll see. I mean, maybe it will build a bit of hype. Um, players are going to get antsy that's it's a big break yeah. between games I think for basketball too yeah. um, I had like rapid questions I want to pick your brain but we already Good. kind of went oh. through all of them oh. you kind of, sorry my, my mom was like did, 
was Bogut the MVP or Cotton was your real MVP pick? So looking at the votes, so Bogut won on 83 votes and then Casper was second and then Cotton was third. Yeah. So to me, and and Cotton was 18 votes behind Bogut, which I thought was real interesting because I, I feel like Cotton was was such a good player this season and you know, I know Perth have locked him away for, I think, another two years at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nice for the NBL to have Bogut win that MVP to say, hey, we've had an NBA player come back to the NBL, put his time and effort into the league. And it was really nice, but... I, th- I think Bogut, it was predictable, Bogut, was it? Yeah, it was, it was predictable. Yeah, he was great against um, six out of, oh, sorry, five out of the eight teams um, against <laughs> Perth and Melbourne. He wasn't great. He wasn't yeah. great at all. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pick me up. What else we got? How many times does Boone get 3,000 in the first half? And if that happens, can they win the game? Ooh. The, I reckon he's going to get 2,000 in the first quarter at least twice. So that's a that's good odds on him having three by half time. <laughs> It's, it's interesting, like, you know, sometimes the refing in the grand final series completely changes. It'll, it'll swing completely to what we've seen all season. And, and the refing this season has been unpredictable at best anyway. So, yeah, the grand final, they, they might let everything go. Who knows? So, Broom could be okay. He could be okay. All right. Damien Martin or Chris Goulding flop count? Who wins it? <sighs> That's a real good question. I think... I don't think Martin's going to... If Martin flops... There's still a lot of contact there because he's, yeah. he's tough. Golding flops, there's nothing there sometimes. <laughs> but I, I feel like he's worked on that. He copped a bit late towards the season. I don't think he flopped at all in the semis. So hopefully he keeps his feet. And when he keeps his feet, his day's not that bad. He got a couple of good steals the other night. I mean, one of the blocks on Adnan was, was great and that, that sort of revved him up. So, um, yeah. He would have liked going against that though. I would have loved it. <laughs> but it was so obvious too because the, the play before Golding hit that shot in Adnan's face and Adnan's crying about some, I don't know, fend off or something and then can't be any. You knew Adnan was going to have a try and have a shot. <laughs> I've heard of funny that answer about Damian Martin in the contact. Like, I, I would have, I knew you were going to say that, but it was good. I think you're right. I think Damian Martin accentuates contact, but it's quite clever on when he does it and how he does it and it's usually there's a lot of contact and I know you're one of your favorite ref moves is when they do the flop count um, <laughs> I think the flop warning <laughs> and on um, Adnan the, the word out of town is that he's uh, coming back to Melbourne not for United though next season so we'll, we'll see how that goes marquee signing <laughs> marquee signing I think he's ready to come home after the, the disaster that's been Sydney okay cool so I, I got a question Dean yeah. Dean got coach of the year and you know, you, I guess the top, the top three teams all finished, I think, the same amount of wins. It was just percentage or whatever that, that separated first to third. Yeah. Did you not agree with that? Well, Perth finished on top and Gleeson didn't even poll in the top three. So, yeah, you, you don't have an issue with Dean winning it, but you do have an issue with um, Gleeson like, having top like three. I feel like Gleeson deserves a bit of credit. Like, from the patches they had throughout the year, they still finished on top. And then, um, you know, Andrew Gay still gets third. In the coaches' votes, there's seven other coaches in the league. Probably a couple of assistant coaches that probably, I know, Andrew it's, Andrew Bogut could have got more coaches as, um, <laughs> more votes as coach than Andrew. It's a flashback to the NBA. Dwayne Casey won Coach of the Year and was asked uh, two months later. But um, so, um, any did you think um, what Dean Vickerman deserved it still? But he just it was weird that the way the point went. My biggest question with the 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 awards is: Do you reckon there's too many nominees? So votes kind of thin out across all of the contenders like basically all coaches are nominated now like for yeah. coach of the year 
There's yeah, what yeah. fifteen MVP nominations or something. It's ridiculous. It, yeah, it's. I guess that's the way they roll with it, though. So we just got to go with it, I guess. But but like, it doesn't make sense. It I don't think. But compared to like a, the NBA, where there's thirty teams, there's only eight teams. So you've got to have a bit of a pool to choose from. I guess it's it's tricky. Yeah. yeah do you I, know how they do their voting? Do they do it five, like four, three, or? I'm not sure. I think that would be interesting. It's like you just can't vote for someone on your own team. Yeah, because um, I reckon potentially if they chose like Vickerman or someone over and then um, Andrew Gaze think that Sydney have done well, that Gleeson just doesn't get the, the credit he deserves because Perth have just kind of been there a lot of the time. I guess they look at a lot of time with coaches of the year improvement and who have you re- you know brought in and put into the system and changed it up and Perth have kind of just done their thing and just kind of know who they are and craft it out, but... I still think that doesn't mean that they should be recognised. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, United finished on top last year, and then they finished second this year, and Vickerman still gets coached. I don't know. It's yeah, it's tricky. Very all right, tricky. hit us up with your other awards. Have you got any hot takes, oh. spicy takes? Um, I so the awards I didn't. Boga got Defensive Player of the Year, which I think is pretty fair. Uh, didn't like how he didn't get up and do his speech. I thought that was pretty stupid. Yeah. Um, came across really a little bit arrogant, to be honest. I liked Tarangi, but um. Defensive Player of the Year went a little went missing a little bit in the, their series against Perth, um, but I think Tarangi is really good and, and I know that he um, um, got sorry best six man and yeah. Golding. Um, there's a lot of lot of talk about Golding. <laughs> that last game of the season against Perth, if he came off the bench, he was eligible for best six mm-hmm. man. Um, yeah, didn't get in the top three for the votes. Geordie ejected. Which are, I find interesting. <laughs> I think um, Wollongong or Illawarra with Jordi uh, Jett and Cedric Jackson. I can't see either of them coming back again next year. To be honest, I don't think they were probably happy with their <laughs> their seasons and, and what went down. But um, we're really running out of time, which is unfortunate. But I just want to get very last kind of prediction. Yep. Then for the game. So, what you're feeling? Um, Perth or Melbourne, and how many games? It all, like I said before, all comes down to game three. Yep. If Melbourne can win game three, I feel like they've got a good chance to take the series out. But I think if Perth hold on in game three, um, there's no way that, that they'll lose from two games to one up. Oh, sorry, that's assuming that um, Melbourne yeah. is one of the first two and that, that Perth don't sweep. But um, yeah, I think it's all about home court. You keep home court and you're safe. And unfortunately, Perth have got those three home games if it does go to five. So you're thinking Perth in five? If, if it goes to five, Perth have got it. But um, if United get game three, I, th- I think they'll come home and win it in, on game four. Okay. And I think that'll be the, the fairy tale Sunday afternoon. Um, I'll be there. Hopefully, if it gets to four. That's a very fancy answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's me. I'm not gonna not gonna jump out before the the Sydney series. I, I was worried, and then after that first game, I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. It's over. I know. I think you're right. Um, before watching United a bit I would have said you know, Perth in five and I think I'll probably stick with that um, but I'm um, thinking Melbourne really kind of give them a chance and if they steal one of those first the first one or game three you're right I reckon they'll lock it down at home yeah. um, and, in yeah. game four yeah, yeah alright cool so I'd like to say thank you Jesse nah, thanks for having well, me along I'm- it was a good little chat yeah. as, as always. Very quick one before we go and play some ball tonight, which would be good. Um, but thank you. We'll be tuning out more NBA stuff, but um, it's really good to kind of get you in and talk some NBA, NBL local ball. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, as soon as this is over, we look at the NBL one, don't we? Isn't that when you see how? Uh, you'll have to tell me about that because I keep getting emails and looking at it. And I'm a little bit confused on exactly what it is still, but. And who knows? After after this series, I, I could have a new team. We could be going for the the Phoenix. And I'll be yeah. Well, about... I'll get you back on, and we'll talk all things Phoenix we'll um, before the season. The marquee signing of Majdan. Is, <laughs> yeah. is really excited. Really. Oh excited. well. Well, thank you very much. Um, Make sure to check out Jesse's other podcast. <laughs> oh, look out. Netflix Forum on all um, good platforms <laughs> if you like movies and like Netflix. But um, thank you again for, for tuning in. We've had a lot of people say they've been enjoying the podcast, but that also means we'd like you to subscribe, give us a review and all that good stuff. Um, I get a lot of good feedback in person, but it'd be awesome if you could subscribe as well. So thank you, Jesse. Yeah, and um, we'll talk to everyone else soon. and We'll get back into NBA with playoffs just around the corner. Thank you.